Yeah, so Jeff already brought up my good news, bad news. Kind of just depends on the perspective you look at it from. Um, but congratulations to App State for a great win. Caused me lots of tears yesterday. Um, but it was actually a fun game to watch, and it was super exciting. And I guess, you know, hey, it's my second team now, so I guess I could, could look at it as kind of a win. But us Tar Heels, were, we were a little sad last night. Um, some other good news, though, we had an amazing bazaar week. Uh, we had a great bazaar this weekend. And thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you that were department chairs or volunteers. If you helped unload last week, if you came and shopped and you bought something, thank you for that too. Uh, but uh, we are so grateful for all of the folks that helped to make that a success. And we're going to hear more about that a little bit later in the service. Uh, but it is such a beautiful event, uh, and to be um, juxtaposed in the midst between relationships last Sunday and evangelism this Sunday, our church bazaar is a great example of both of those uh, opportunities here in the life of our church, and so we are, are grateful for all that has, it has accomplished. So we are continuing our sermon series this week on ambitious church. And I haven't said anything about the graphic all these weeks, but I really love this image. You've got this tiny little sapling um, that's, that's um, sitting right next to this large, long-in-the-tooth mature tree. Certainly one of the characteristics that move us from being a church community of, of like sapling stature to this growing, vital, large community is evangelism. And reaching out to others, as a reminder of what we talked about in the children's moment, evangelism is reaching out to others with the good news of Jesus. Now, evangelism is like an usher's obligation, right, to rescue and assist others. So the story goes that a young man applied for a job at a movie theater at a mall. And when he was being interviewed uh, to be this usher at the theater, a manager asked him, all right, what would you do in case there was a fire? And the young uh, guy said, oh, don't you worry about me. I'll get out just fine. But that's how we respond sometimes, right? What would we do if Jesus came back tomorrow? Oh, don't worry about me. I'll be okay. And yet, our job is to be much more like the usher. It isn't enough to just take care of ourselves. But we are responsible for helping others to get out, to be taken care of. So how many of us think of evangelism as someone else's job? It's not my gift. It's not my gift. My faith is between me and my Lord. Ah, but in fact, the church was created. It was created. Its whole purpose in being is for the sake of inviting others to come and learn about the love of Jesus. So let's hear a couple of different readings this morning from Scripture that talk to us about the important characteristic of an any ambitious church, evangelism. First Peter, first from First Peter 3, verse 15. Instead, regard Christ the Lord as holy in your hearts. Whenever anyone asks you to speak of your hope, be ready to defend it. And then from 2 Corinthians 5, 
verses 13 through 20. If we are crazy, it's for God's sake. If we are rational, it's for your sake. The love of Christ controls us. This is Paul, and he's talking about he and his um, assistants that have gone to, had planted this church in Corinth, and they've left, and he's writing letters back to them. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. One died for the sake of all, therefore all died. He died for the sake of all so that those who are alive should live not for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. So then from this point on, we won't recognize people by human standards. Even though we used to know Christ by human standards, that isn't how we know him now. So then if anyone is in Christ, that person is part of the new creation. The old things have gone away. And look, new things have arrived. All of these new things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ by not counting people's sins against them. He has trusted us with this message of reconciliation. And then most important, So we are ambassadors who represent Christ. God is negotiating with you through us. We beg you as Christ's representatives, be reconciled to God. And then finally, a familiar couple of verses from Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. This is God's word for all of God's people. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Through the written word and the spoken word, may we know your living word. Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. So I happen to believe that evangelism has gotten a bad rap through the years. We hear the word and we cringe in our seats. Unless you are one of those persons who just naturally talks about your faith and constantly loves to invite others to discover Jesus in their own lives. But my observation is that most of us United Methodists are not that person. But you see, that doesn't let us off the hook. There are two teams that every single member of the church are a part of. One of them is the stewardship team. The other is the evangelism team. Maybe that's, there is, um, maybe these are some of the reasons that some of us have a misconception about what evangelism actually is or should be. Because for some people, evangelism is an evangelical saving mission where we go into a phone booth and we change our clothes and we come out with the letter S on our chest and we go out on saving missions, um, oftentimes uh, in neighborhoods that are seldom our own. But we win people for Christ. For some, uh, evangelism looks more like the ambush 
where we lure the honest, unsuspecting victim to come to some type of event. Then we lock the doors and we sing 22 verses of Just As I Am. Some people think of evangelism as a bombing mission where from the protective space of 30,000 feet above cloud level, um, at cloud level, we then fill backyards with gospel bombs or pamphlets, right? These are exaggerations. For others, evangelism is herding the fish into the beautiful stained glass aquarium so the great fishermen can lure from the pulpit and reel the fish in. In actuality, the Oxford Dictionary defines evangelism as the spreading of the Christian gospel by public preaching or personal witness. So you might not be like John Wesley and put your box out and stand on and preach at the the street corner like um, he did back in the day. But let's see what scripture might have to say to us about the importance of sharing our personal witness simply because we have chosen to be Jesus followers. So our first text this morning, I'm going to go backwards in the way that we read it, um, is from the Great Commission. And it's an obvious and familiar reminder. What I want us to hear from this text are a couple of things. And the first is the word go. How important it is for us to go. It doesn't tell us to wait and let people come to you and then make disciples. But if we're being honest, that's exactly what our model is right now, isn't it? Did you know that we don't even have an evangelism team here at the church? And if that's something you might be interested in in helping to start, let me know. If this is a passion or a gift that you have, would you join me in helping this church lead our congregation into becoming more comfortable, inviting all to discover life in Christ as our mission statement so beautifully states. Secondly, the Great Commission reminds us that we're to make disciples of all nations, all people, not just people like us, but the hope and the love of Jesus is available for all people. The world is our mission field. Maybe for some of us, it's our neighborhood. This reminds me of a couple of our metrics from our vision frame. Some of the questions that it asks, two of them, have I walked with someone not like me this week? And this week, you, many of you might be able to say yes, because of the church bazaar. We had the opportunity to be with so many different wonderful people. And the second question, when this week did I invite someone into a life with Christ? Wow, these are hard questions. More on this in a minute. <clears throat> Finally, this Great Commission passage challenges us, but then it supports us by stating that Jesus will personally be with us every day until he comes again. Jesus was saying this to the disciples. Hey, y'all, if this sounds scary, if what I'm asking you to do takes you way out of your comfort zone, if this task that I am leaving in your hands scares you, don't worry, because I will be with you to support and encourage you until I come again. Jesus isn't asking us to do anything. He isn't going to send the Holy Spirit to surround and bless So the longest passage I read today is from 2 Corinthians, and I'm actually really excited about that because it connects to one of the lectures that I got to hear a couple of weeks ago in Durham, England, from the head of the seminary at St. John's College. Dr. Philip Pliming, he studied Paul's work with the church in Corinth for years, and he helped explain essentially what was Paul's strategy for evangelism and discipleship. 
um, as he helped to plant this church in Corinth. Um, Corinth at the time was this bustling city that was uh, the center of everything that was happening in that part of the world. It was located on this three mile wide isthmus. So it had waterways essentially on both sides, a harbor on each side, one facing the, the mainland of Greece and the other facing the Greek island, uh, Achaia. And it was uh, the heart of the east-west uh, cultural hub of the east-west trade. It was essentially an ancient happening Shanghai, if you will, in its, in its day. So these people were wealthy. They thought very highly of themselves. They admired strong athletes. There were competitions that happened there on a regular basis. They loved celebrities and they loved philosophy that flattered. And so that was the kind of speeches that got the most attention at the city square. Because you see, they didn't have television or smartphones. So you would go to the city square and listen to the different orators um, perform or speak. And they loved the ones that would say what you wanted them to say. Um, and yet, Paul comes to town and he starts talking about a crucified Messiah. Humble but powerful. Very unlike their Greek athletes they lifted up that were strong and powerful, dominating and powerful. And yet Paul talked about his own suffering and this promise of this new thing that Jesus was offering, a new creation, a fresh start, a clean slate. And yes, it caught on. Corinthians were interested. And as Dr. Pliming said, the miracle in Corinth is not all the things that they got so very wrong. It's that they actually got anything right. Jesus was the unlikely hero for the Corinthians. But this is the verse I find so interesting in the passage. And it's the last one that I read, tucked away at the end, that provides a powerful challenge and an invitation to us. Paul says, so we are ambassadors who represent Christ. God is negotiating with you through us. You catch what that is saying? God works through us to reach others. We're ambassadors. We are instruments. You see, not only did Jesus promise to be with us, but actually Jesus intends to use us as a vehicle to reach other people. Wow, it's a little overwhelming to think about. And what happens to this plan if we do not make ourselves available for this possibility? If we're not prepared, if we're not open, if we refuse to see ourselves as anything that God might possibly need or use to tell God's amazing and epic love story. But you see, we're all actors in this epic and cosmic play. We're all storytellers on God's amazing, beautiful stage. We are ambassadors of the faith that speak our truth on behalf of this unexpected Messiah. Because much like Paul was to the people in Corinth, we can be to others. But how do we do this? Well, this answer, the answer to that brings us to our last scripture verse. First Peter is simple, but it makes two important points worth reflecting on. First of all, it is an invitation to look at our faith as a source of hope. First and foremost, it's not, y'all, it's not an insurance policy to heaven. Our faith is not something we ought to do because our parents did. 
that when we look at our faith and how it affects our life, that one thing we recognize is God's love for us is a source of hope that helps us navigate whatever it is that life might throw us. The other important point is that this text invites us to be ready to share when someone might ask you to. You never know when someone might discover that you're a Christian, they might be curious about um, finding out more about what you believe or they find out you come to this church and they want to know more. You have just a moment to make an impression, so be ready. I found that most folks haven't thought this through and they get caught off guard and they aren't sure what to say. And so that moment can be lost. Now I wanna invite you to do something this morning. I wanna invite each of you to prepare your elevator speech. So an elevator speech is being able to condense why you love Jesus and the time it takes you to get from ground floor to the top of the building. In other words, a couple of sentences. So here's my faith elevator speech. So I've experienced a great deal of loss in my life. But what I've discovered is that even and especially when I was in those moments of, of valley, of darkness, of deep grief or sadness, every single time I discovered that God was there with me, persistently loving and caring for me. And I want others to know that persistent, unwavering love of God in their lives. That's it. That's my elevator speech. So when asked me, why in the world do you love God? Why in the world do you follow Jesus? So I want to try something this morning. Some of you are going to go, oh, I can't stand you. But bear with me. We'll call it an experiment, a little practice to help you see what you might need to work on. But I really want to invite you to practice with a partner, someone beside you, your elevator speech. I want you to tell a partner just a couple of sentences of why Jesus is important to you in your life. Don't worry about it being um, said beautifully and perfectly. What I really want you to do today is identify those one or two points that you would choose to talk about. For me, it was two points. It was to say that um, I have known God to be present in my life when it was hard and that I want others to experience that same kind of presence. Those were the two points that I wanted to, to communicate. All right, so I'm really going to give you a couple of minutes to do this. Um, don't run from the sanctuary, um, but find someone right around you. Take a minute practice, give each other a chance. I'll say switch and just to make sure you have um, done it. Okay. Talk amongst yourselves. <coughs> if you haven't already, horrible or painful, but it's really, really important 
to be able to talk about our faith, to be able to have moments to practice so when that unexpected moment happens, like 1 Peter 5 says, we are ready. See, this past Wednesday I was worshiping with the App State Wesley Foundation, and they uh, took a moment during the worship for the students, um, for one of the students to come up and share their testimony. And by the way, our ser- sermon series this summer went so well, sharing testimonies. We want to keep that going. So we are designating every third Sunday to be a testimony sharing Sunday. And if that is stuff, you've got a story you want to tell, will you let Jeff or me know? Because we would love for you to be one of the folks that share your stories um, with us. Because it's just a powerful way for us to, to learn and hear more about you and be, uh, be inspired. Um, but this young woman stood up and said, y'all, I love App Wesley so much, and you need to too. And, it, and she said, this is my story. I'm a band geek, and I was in band, and then she named John Smith. John Smith invited me to come one night, and I didn't, but he kept after me. And so finally, one time I showed up at App Wesley, and it changed my life. It changed my life. And so now I invite the other um, students that are in my section, the symbol section in the band. And then she named two or three that had started coming with her. And she, she was so excited. And she said, I keep inviting people. Do you see what she did? She took a sphere of influence um, that was hers alone outside of the, uh, of the campus ministry. And she invited folks to come learn more about this. And she did it in a way that, that she was there with them. She made it easy for them to come and was so excited about what she was inviting them to. And so App State Wesley has grown because of her witness, because of her testimony, because of her willingness to simply invite friends. So y'all, I want to challenge us. Challenge us all. Invite a friend to come to church with you over these next several weeks. Maybe it's someone that used to be here that you've noticed has taken the summer off. Call them this week. Invite them. Come to worship. You'll meet them for coffee afterwards or go out to lunch with them after church. Or maybe it's someone in your sphere of influence that has never been to this church before. But I invite us to work on this over the next month. Um, And by the way, being an extrovert is not essential to evangelism. So if you introverts are already saying that is somebody else's job, no, just a little bit of obedience, faithfulness, and love is all any of us need. Because when we are faithful to doing what God asks us to do, I'm telling you, God provides the way. And there is so much to love about our worship together. I don't know about you, but I love Jeff's prayers when he prays. I love them. I love it when we in our prayer time have an opportunity to respond. It keeps me engaged and participating in the prayer life of our church. I love our worship space. It's so big and beautiful and inspiring, and it reminds us that our God is big, but it feels warm to me. I love it when the sun shines in that window and it casts blue and purple all across the front of the church. I love it when our children sing in worship and we see the joy that only children can inspire in us. I love it when we have communion and I get to be right there looking you in the eye, touching and serving and celebrating that meal together. I love it when we get to hear about all the missions that this church is a part of, that impact this church has not only in this community but around the world 
So what is it that you love about worship here? What is it that you love about this church? What is it that you can share with someone else and invite them to come and be excited or moved or inspired by? And can you bring them to church so they can have that experience themselves? So friends, let's be an ambitious church. Let's fill the pews. We've certainly got space and we need your help to do it. Let's be patiently persistent. Let's see who God might be pointing us toward in our lives. And to remember God has been so good to you. And Jesus' gift of grace and forgiveness is so amazing. And the Holy Spirit is indeed moving today in all of our lives. And isn't that worth figuring out how to share with one other person? Because after all, we are ambassadors for our Lord. So come, Holy Spirit, use us this day, use us this week. Help us tell your story, Lord, and help us ambitiously grow your church for your sake. And all of God's children said, amen.